Thank you for joining us for another Natura Noor conversation. This series is being hosted by Clarion Call, and Clarion Call's whole ambition is to get behind people who are trying to work differently together for meaningful change that follows a community's call to action. In this series, we're interested in exploring what it takes to do whole of community change. We focus on the how. We're stepping behind the curtain and looking at what works and what gets in the way. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the many lands on which we're meeting today and pay our respects to elders past, present and future and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. I'd also like to acknowledge that all of our work can be strengthened by listening to the voice of our First Nations people and carrying their wisdom and practices into our work together as we go forward. I'm Sharon Fraser, one of the co-founders of Clarion Call, and I'm joined today by two incredible people that I have been a bit excited about talking to, Willow Burson and Kyla Brettel. We will be exploring how you include local, bioregional and global voices to build a movement for environmental change and regeneration. Yes, not a lightweight topic, but we're really interested in what the movement part of that looks like. I'm joining today from Jara country, the land of the Zha Jarang people. So Kyla, where are you joining today from? I'm also on Jai Jawarong country in beautiful upside down country here in um, also called Barker's Creek. So on the other side of the creek from you. Fantastic. Fantastic. And you, Willow? Hi, I'm calling in from Wurundjeri country in inner north Melbourne. And I would like to acknowledge elders past and present here too. So you both come from some very different backgrounds and as a part of today's conversation, we'd really like to explore a little bit about those backgrounds so that we can understand what it is, either professional, personal or both, that you're drawing from in today's conversation. Sure. So I've been a documentary maker for nearly 20 years now, working across different mediums of print and film, but I I really found my heart when it came to audio production. So I make radio documentaries. So I haven't really been an activist or an advocate, you know, for any particular uh, uh, cause or issue in the past. I've sort of more been an observer of the human condition. But And then I sort of took a few years off and I sort of rebooted my career about two and a half years ago. And I, I did in the wake of, of having one of those real wake-up moments, I was crying on the floor of the kitchen at two o'clock in the morning when it really hit me in, in a deep kind of an emotional level, you know, the, the, that the climate crisis was going on and it was going to impact my kids and everything that I loved and, and held dear. And that pretty much set me on a journey of discovering, like, where do I stand in this and, and trying to mm-hmm. work out you know, what's going on in my town, what's going on in the world. And so I sort of went on that journey. And, and through that, I started to develop Endgame, which is a audio project podcast in collaboration with a local activist, advocate and composer, Rob Law. So we've been working on that for the last two years. And sort of that, that's pretty much where I'm, where I'm coming from. Mm, fantastic. Thanks, Kyla. What about you, Willow? I originally trained as a printmaker and I think somewhere some patterning around processes got embedded. Uh, fell into multimedia back in the noughties and um, a couple of decades ago and spent a long time working as a 
creative director and designer sort of in digital spaces and lots of platforms and e-commerce roaming the world as a peripatetic nomad, which was awesome. But I never wanted to be in advertising and always wondered why, what's the point? It was great fun working with amazing people doing amazing projects. But there was always that question, what's the purpose of this? And I fell into sort of innovation and startup space for maybe the past decade or more. We came back to Melbourne five years ago with a baby and unwell parents sort of crash landed thinking we were Europeans after Brexit and all of those massive changes. And I just thought, I, I have to do something. This, this I, I need to shift. So probably through that metamorphosis of becoming a mother as well, it's like, hold on, there's a change I'm going through and I feel like I, I need to be useful now. <laughs> and it's not just about me. And so in one of Melbourne's first Extinction Rebellion meetings I went to and I, and I thought, well, this is interesting. I wanted to find out more and I came across the idea of citizens' assemblies and then a friend there introduced me to people's assemblies. And I, well, these are really cool tools. Why aren't they used everywhere? Because this is kind of makes just too much sense. So I went down this sort of self-initiated research journey thinking I might study a master's by research and it's just been a, a sort of a four-year <laughs> apprenticeship of learning, perhaps. Or a friend said, well, you did your PhD without doing a PhD. I'm just trying to understand how these tools might be useful for the times that we're living in. And so three years ago, I started a coalition of everyone, which is the idea of, of spreading these tools far and wide so that we may regenerate the future. And I was actually thinking earlier about a metaphor to kind of describe the journey of what I've been on of thinking about how if you were to find a beautiful log in the woods and you had some tools and you wanted to whittle a sculpture, it's like I came at it from the tools first, but actually the tools is just a way to get there. And so this journey has been like a personal learning journey to understand how the intersection of regeneration and democracy can help us create a really beautiful, amazing, thriving future. And so by using these participatory and deliberative practices as the tools to help us co-create this new thing as this great, wonderful invitation around regeneration. So tools first, but actually now they're second <laughs> or mm. part of kind of helping us get there. Mm. Isn't it interesting how we can come at this and work to align our efforts and energies to our purpose from so many different starting points? I think it really says to what a, a rich but also deep problem it is that we're addressing, that it really covers all aspects of life and all our skills and all our knowledge kind of can be rolled into it in so many different ways. So there's been an iterative process for both of you. How much of you have wanted to step into this addressing climate change, getting people involved in tackling climate change, the whole regeneration piece? How much of that was sort of purpose-driven upfront, either personally, professionally, versus how much do you think has, has come to you over time? For me, it was very much upfront. I mean, in my research before starting the podcast, it's like you're sort of pulling this little thread of, okay, this is climate change. This is just around reducing emissions. And then, you know, oh, no, it's actually more than emissions. There's water in there too, and there's waste, and there's plastic, and and toxicity and and then you sort of start uncovering it and then and you you realize that it's sort of seeped into our very systems and our you know culture of 
you know, extraction and exploitation that it was there, you know, so expressed in such a crystal way by colonialism. And then, and then before that, you know, it's all that separation of, of the of humans from the rest of the natural world and, and thinking, wow, these are, these are really, really deep problems. And, you know, and looking into sort of social research on climate change and saying, well, look, 80% of us are really concerned about climate change, you know, like we're all worried about it, but still our emissions are climbing and we're not actually really doing something about it. And because I've always been deeply interested in human nature and what makes us tick and all those sort of the dark kind of icky sides of humanity and the problem that I want to address or the space that I want to take this into is is what are all those kind of internal deep emotional stuff that is really in the way of us dealing with this and grappling with this massive problem that was really what I wanted to to start kind of uncovering in my own life but it was a continuation of an obsession with humanity, I think, which, you know, started with Jane Austen <laughs> and Pride and Prejudice and all those, those little ways that we express the structures in, in, in our lives and the sort of ways that we, you know, where we have freedom and control and, you know, anyway. Well, you were nodding when Kyla was talking about the emotional barriers or the emotional issues that get in the way of people being able to step into understanding or tackling climate change. Do you want to speak a bit about that? Yeah, I, I was nodding because hearing hearing you speak, Kyla, I was it's similar. It's like there's a an inquiry that it starts with. For me, it was like I want to understand why, how. <laughs> there's way better ways that we could be living. And my probably I started with Thomas Campbell as a NASA physicist, and he's written a book called My Big Theory of Everything or My Big Toe. And it's like so big and it's three books, and it took me 10 years to read the first third, as in the first <laughs> book. <laughs> But and because it's experiential learning and he's exploring through the mind of a scientist and the eyes of a scientist the nature of reality and consciousness and it's mind-blowingly amazing. But where it, around the time that I started Coalition of Everyone, I kind of got to the heart of understanding or starting to think in systems approaches and he was talking about the interconnected global ecosystems that we live with of our social, political, economic and, of course, environmental systems and our technological systems. So I, I started drawing these rings and I've always really loved sacred geometry and as a pattern image person first, these resonate. And I was drawing these rings and it was sort of like an uncovering process, wanting to understand what are the underlying drivers behind all of this. Mm. And so on that journey, nodding my head going, yes, okay, so we understand how everything's broken and why and that these are all human-made systems, and if they are problems, if they are human-made problems, well, then we can fix them. So how do we do that? And where mm -hmm. are the gaps for us to move into and shift and change? And I suppose the place I'm at now is my understanding is that we are living in the collapse of our old outmoded human-made systems. We can all see them, feel them, breathe them, smell them, sense them, and actually within that collapse is the opportunity for for new potential emergence and that, that's kind of the space I've landed in going, well, that's amazing. <laughs> Let's hold that unbelievable potential and try and help activate pathways through these so that we may actually have a better future. So, yeah, I've gone on round lots of journeys of trying to understand and uncover and reveal what is beneath and what is the source of all of this fragmentation and degeneration and ultimately, when you peer deep, deep, deep and 
scratch below it all, it's it's heart and love and our disconnection from nature. And it's like, how do we actually come back to that and learn from our Indigenous knowledge keepers to walk with them and relearn what has been lost through the last couple of hundred years of the Industrial Revolution and more to come back to these ancient new ways of living together and forming kinship with the living world and I, yeah, could go on, but that that's sort of like my own sort of spinning vortex journey of trying to understand. In a similar way, I, I landed in the same place, Willow, and I found it, you know, that that was my solace. That was my place of this is actually really exciting. There are all these ideas and all this ferment and, you know, wonderful people developing all these you know, in- incredible theories, but but feeling so grounded in Indigenous kind of cultural practices and ways of seeing the world. And, and that was my, you know, sense of hope came from this, you know, this could actually really be something very amazing and, and wonderful for the human race to be able to, to, to shed so much corruption, to be able to hope potentially, you know, shed such damaging ways of, of, of being in the world and alienating ourselves from what it is that provides us with, with, with succor and comfort and love and, you know, all those things that we really need. Because I went through a, a, a great disillusionment in the 90s with, you know, postmodernism and the death of the metafictions and sort of feeling quite disillusioned with, you know, post-colonialism and feminism and, and all these great movements which felt like they'd really failed and, you know, sitting in the postmodern onion of rings and rings of, of nothingness around simulacra and, 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 you know, feeling so isolated. And so for me in some ways embracing the climate crisis is kind of like, you know, cracking that egg and finding, well, there is actually beauty and meaning in the world again and in, in that the planet itself and, and something that I can really wholeheartedly believe in is speaking to us in this way and, you know, yeah, that, that, that we have this potential for change and, well, that change is going to come. Beautiful. Really. So, so you've both been on personal exploratory learning journeys around what the whole notion of the climate crisis is what the sense of being is, what are ways of doing and being that we need to hold dear in order to get ourselves from the current systems that are not serving our purpose into a way of being and doing that does serve humanity as well as the planet. And as incredible as the two of you are, you two cannot do this alone. So I'd really like to explore with you what it's meant for you around the engaging of others and the building of the conversation and the energy with others around this amazing pieces that you're trying to drive and hold in your own personal and professional lives. I can hop on that one. I think a while ago, so visual person, I'm a designer, I'm a recovering marketing and advertising creative. It's very hard <laughs> to go I think visually words usually come much later. But I did draw a diagram that was a red light and a green light. And in the red light was climate emergency, biodiversity collapse the green light was regenerative futures and it was just hold on how does my body respond to these two things when I see red I see fear and I feel paralysis and this can lead to all forms of just I'm stuck I'm trapped uh, nihilism etc etc when I see the the green a regenerative future I'm like what is that what does it mean it pulls me towards it is a compulsion that is once you kind of step into it I can't let it go it's like I want to find out and I think it's that invitation 
and possibly with that sort of design background is actually, well, how can we invite everybody to see that, to experience it and feel it and touch it and move towards it? And I suppose this great big audacious vision that we have to build a coalition of everyone for the regeneration of everything, which is working at an audacious scale, is that. It's like how can we actually invite everyone to participate in the regeneration of our home planet and where we live. We can't save the world, but we can save places, which Bill Reed from Regenesis says. And I think that's fundamental to this is actually I think everybody has a role to play. And whilst I've been trying to find, search for and find my own, it's an invitation for others to find that too. It's like, why are we here now? We've <laughs> got to do shit and we've got to move fast at scale, at pace. So here's an invitation to go over here. We are trying to live in an existing system that is broken whilst hospicing that and transitioning and transforming into a new one. It's really complicated. I love it. It makes my head hurt, but I'm also engaged, alive and practising, I think, as well, this idea around active hope with Joanna Macy's work, which is how do you hold that complexity and how do you feel like you are a part of that by practising active hope? For me, that is going into action, being with people, talking about it and just connecting together with people and people seem to respond. It's like we're having this conversation for that reason as well. It's like there's an alternative future and it's these stories we tell How do we share them? It's connecting, listening, understanding. (laughs) Sometimes I talk too much. Sometimes like, shut up and just listen. (laughs) And and just kind of weaving together to share this idea that there's a better future and it's an alternative narrative than the dominant one. Let's go over there. It feels Mm. fun. And and, and I, I just keep kind of moving with that. Wow. Well, well, your your project is much more audacious and 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 grander than my than my audio project, which is sort of a, an exercise in in storytelling and trying to find expression for myself, but also an expression for my community. We started out with this beautiful inciting incident with the declaration of a climate emergency where our kind of town kind of bubbled up and it was really inspiring. It was a beautiful moment to be part of. And then it was like, wow, this is all happening. You know, this was in the you know great time of the, the fabulous school strike for climate marches. And it felt like there was so much energy and wanting to think, oh well, what if we follow this story of our sounds transition and what's going to what's going to happen? And you know, and then as soon as of course as soon as the emergency declaration is is declared then it's like fractured <laughs> and it's like you're following it's it's herding cats and trying to follow little bits of stories that are not going anywhere and you don't things are not matching up and it doesn't fit into a narrative it doesn't fit we don't have a hero it doesn't have you know all the form that you need and and part of the but part of the problem is really is the story form in itself of this idea, we we are so indoctrinated with this way of understanding the world of the hero traveling through this landscape of being able to save everyone. We can save everything with human ingenuity or whatever the hero is going to be, and you know, and, and that is a fundamental kind of problem because it doesn't work with the way that the world really needs to be saved, which is through a coalition of everybody. We're not, we don't need another hero. We need everybody. So there's sort of there was there's kind of tension with that. But you asked me, I mean, you asked about how do we include other people in this process? And, you you know, for me with working on this project, I really felt I had to go back to try and find a form of making that was 
not the form of making that I made before. So not just going to a commissioning editor and sizing up a story for its, you know, its plot and its character and getting the money and moving on. We went went about it in a much more organic way, kind of making kind of audio postcards and working in little sorts of forms and and with the people within the community trying to make it really local and and, and bouncing back a lot with them as well, putting the like little bits of work out in on social media, different groups and within the community to kind of get a get a bit of a get a bit of bounce back and and feedback from the people we're working with. And one of the nice things as well was moving into this after taking a break for some time. So moving into telling stories and being a documentary maker and really having that draw home about what is this about? And you know, really I, I've come up with this sense that it's it's so much about listening, you know, and listening is more than something that we do it's an attitude that we that we bring to the world so really trying to listen to the world around me to the people around me and then you're in this process of of giving voice which is also really complicated because in some ways you're colonizing other people's stories and you really have to listen closely to yourself as you you give voice but that's essentially as well about not just about representing but about standing up and then using that to connect as well which is sort of where it gets scary and you need to close the loop and and get the story out there to other people and then it sort of goes around to listening and giving voice and connecting and the in, one of the interesting things in this day and age is that what we do, we all of us now within a social media, web point two zero, whatever, occupy all of those three roles. You know, we're all the subjects of this show. We're all giving voice in our own way. And we're all kind of seeking to connect, you know, with others through the things that we put out there in the world. And and so I guess in, in terms of my theory of making it's it's really that dance between these three sort of actions, I guess, again, yeah, between listening and giving voice and, and connecting. Kylie, hearing you speak, yes, it all resonates very deeply. And look, I think all roles are valid wherever we're stepping in. And it may be a big role, it may be a small role. It's like when you step into your potential to be useful, right? And if you're coming at this kind of awareness shift, let's call it an awareness shift, from any place, it's all okay because you're stepping into that potential to help spread hope, which is what this is. It's ultimately a battle of narratives, which is why I'm so stoked to meet you, Kyla, because you're actually telling those stories. It's like how do we help shift that narrative from everything is totally effed to there are some really interesting ways to reconsider how we live and be and do together on this planet in our places with our communities. And that just that just resonates really strongly when when I hear you speak like that because that's exactly what this is. Well, I'd like to invite you to talk a bit about your Regen Melbourne journey mm. yeah. um, in that in that context about both changing the narrative, but also around engaging others in where they are and what they're interested in doing in order to to actually shift some of that that narrative or to at least win one of the battles in the war on narrative. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, it was in, I think, the height of Melbourne's lockdown the first winter. <laughs> I heard Kate Raworth speaking at a Small Giants Academy conversation, and I'd, I'd read about the work she was doing in Amsterdam with the Amsterdam Donut already. It's like, this is cool. This is really interesting. And so hearing her speak directly, I was literally hopping up and down thinking, we need to do that here. This is really interesting. Here's a 
a, a methodology that is a, a compass, a tool to help us re-steer us back into where we want to be, which is a safe and just space living in planetary boundaries. So I was hopping up and down madly and contacted some of the people that I that I knew. Kyle Lofgren, who's the works with the Small Giants Academy and is the strategy and policy lead for Regen Melbourne. And myself and Sean Truick from the Circular Economy Victoria started talking about it. And look, more than anything, it's been a learning journey like none other. I have learned so much by osmosis of hanging around with a lot of really smart people. And along the way, just really trying to see if I can be useful, use the tools that I learned in my old economy work as a, you know, as a creative designer and, and help support that and originally sort of convening that as well. So that's built up over the past couple of years. Uh, there's a whole shift that it's going through at the moment focusing on, on projects and it's a anchor collaborative and, and kind of convening amazing systems-wide projects for the city there's about 150 sorry that's my cat trying to eat the cables in the background there's about 150 organizations who are all coming to the same idea how do we regenerate here and what do we need to do together to actually listen understand and harness all of that energy because there's a lot of stuff happening but it's how do you actually join it up to help accelerate that work together and form new alliances and coalitions and so yeah I went deep into that work which was just absolutely profound and wonderful and still is and ongoing as it keeps building and growing and from that as well there was somebody else Alice from Sydney hopping up and down saying I'm going to do that in Sydney and so you know it's just lots of conversations around maybe we can do that too and sort of this very organic dialogues have opened up of oh you're interested as well so okay let's have a chat and forming relationships and I think something happens when you tap into this bigger idea that is greater than all of us and how to kind of be in service to it, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and, and what we might do that's useful to help bring that along. I think it's kind of like the alignment of our intention and our ambitions is stepping into that. So meanwhile, we, we published our, our first report with Regen Melbourne at the Melbourne Knowledge Week last year. And we were having, a, I was just having a lot of conversations, a bit of a talking head after we published to lots of different people sort of saying, well, that's really interesting. And it was very fun. And then I thought, well, I'm doing all of this as a volunteer and I, I still am. It's all in-kind support because I really believe in this work is, well, maybe I could bring everybody together and we can have a joined up conversation. So from that, for the past year, I've been convening a, a Regen Places network so learning network of other places now around Australia and New Zealand. So we've got five cities that are kind of visible and above the ground or looking at doing this in completely unique, wonderful, diverse ways. And there's about a dozen places, regions and cities as well around that are kind of seeding. They're not yet visible, but people coming together to want to learn and understand how they might help lead and convene these movement, place-based movements for change. And that just fills me with hope and I just feel alive by it and completely out of my depth most of the time because I'm not mm. trained <laughs> as a facilitator or convener. I am literally following the energy, which is, you know, the laws of permaculture and Kate Rowell talks about that a lot too. 
Beautiful. Um, I love that, Willow. I love that, you know, and I've, I've come to, it's so, you know, we've got so many synergies because I've really come to that place-based as a, as a grounding thing myself as well, of, you know, almost like waking up, looking around, who am I in this boat with? And, it's, you know, with the tail of COVID, on, you know, on the tail of COVID as well, of who are going to share vegetables with and how can we, you know, how can we work together? But I think that that place-based approach covers so many bases in the same in the same thing because it's about working with our circle of influence as well because when we're working in a place base we're not you know it's not trying to change the world it's not making it this massive thing it's like well this is this is my community this is my land you know this is my area and it's also about changing the narrative in that sense of you know it's not about globalization and and everybody kind of mushing into the all the one part it's it's looking at the uniqueness of our land and our place and how that speaks to what those needs are and it's and it's that and and I love how it's changing the narrative in the sense that it's actually really rethinking those values that underpin you know our society and 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 in getting back to something that is real and and is tangible and and where we have you know power and influence. Kyla, could you talk a little bit about Endgame as the vehicle for some of that? You've talked a little bit about some of the how with Endgame. Could you talk a, a, a bit about how you're holding that sense of place and how you're holding that change of narrative? Well, Endgame, you know, has has evolved quite quite a lot and and trawled through different styles and approaches and trying to find the right voice and and realizing that there's so many different pockets of audiences and audiences need different things and you can't speak to everyone all at all at once but the show i guess it weaves in lots of different sound textures from this sort of observational narrative of our town and and how we're all kind of grappling with it to to bringing in a remix of ideas and speaking with, uh, you know, like combing through podcasts and fabulous podcasts like your own, uh, where you can get people speaking and, and talking about, so I've, you know, we included Kate Raworth and and different thinkers and, and, and remixing those and being able to kind of engage in the in the broader conversation through that and, and really trying to dive in as much as we can without being confronting about some of those deeper questions about what's impeding our progress on this, you know, and one of those is this really challenging idea that, you know, we're not the centre of the universe and that it's actually a very unsettling for a lot of people to hear that humans are not the centre of the universe and and how do you actually, you know, how do you talk about that? So it's, it's trying to create a space, I guess, where we can stand back and in some ways look at the many influences on our behaviour from psychology and philosophy and history and sociology, you know, so we can see ourselves within the system, but also trying not to kind of lay blame on any one subject within this, this chain of seeing ourselves but also empowering ourselves in the way that, you know, how we still do have so much influence on the people around us. And I guess another device that we've really explored within the show is looking at a little town as a microcosm for the larger picture of what's happening in the world and making those connections between the little and the big because all of our problems, they're nested like Russian dolls, they're all the same problem. They just get down smaller and smaller. So, you know, when I do, you know, worry about the amount of fossil fuel and power that we're using and, you know, the agony of, you know, but I really want this or I'm cold or I, you know, you know whatever it, 
that you know they're the same they're the same questions that just you know get blown up onto a onto a bigger scale and and trying to use that approach to bring the climate crisis home to something that is manageable as a way to understand it and also express how the climate crisis is is permeated and and so deep within you know the very foundations of our of our thinking and you know the way we go about all of our systems yeah so that's beautiful sort of- you've both touched on a bit as we've been talking about not only the narrative of the current system, but the narrative of the current story around the climate emergency and that there very much is a story of doom and a story of fear and a story of it's way bigger than anything that I can possibly do. It's beyond us. It's not going to work. And you've both talked in different ways about shifting that narrative, building a positive story and building a sense of actually we all need to do this and we can do this. So I actually think that that's interesting that that although, Willow, you've talked about a very large scale and, and Kyla's talked about community, but there's some real alignment there in some of the shifting in narrative that you're wanting to do. As you go on that journey, how much of this um, and your work, do you feel that you need to be holding, controlling, steering in some way, either as an individual or with others? And or how much of it do you think is iterative and organic and grows over time? Like what's that balance? Because there's often a tension between that, isn't there? There's often a tension between creating enough certainty and enough clarity for people to go, oh, we can do this differently. There is a different way so that they that, that they can jump out of the fear reaction really. Mm-hmm. But there's this attention then about controlling or managing it too closely or too tightly so that you you don't make enough room for others. So I'd be interested to explore that question with you both. That's a good one. <laughs> I think for me, having always been at the pointy end of projects in my previous career, I always want to get to the outcome. Like I love connecting people and I love realising ideas, but actually this is not that and I have to keep coming back to as a wise friend says, hold it lightly. So it's an absolute tension. And I think as well, how might we create pathways for people to access and participate in without knowing what the outcomes are, but we know we have a vague idea of the destination. And even in that work I used to do as a user interface designer, it's like, how do you create an, not an architecture, but a a path? How do you sort of lay a a patterning actually might be a better metaphor. How do you lay the, the foundations for new infrastructure and policy and ideas and coalitions and alliances and projects that are inspiring, that are gravitating, that are accessible and inclusive that people can move into without exactly knowing what the outcome is going to be. We Mm. kind of have ideas and we know we ultimately, right, if we can stretch our minds in time for a second, want to end up longer term in an ecological civilization. It's the antithesis, the opposite of where we are now. We are in this massive transitioning time and that may well be a, a couple of words that help describe a far better destination to heal and resolve so much internal human and external conflict. That's like 2100. So how do we get from here to there slowly? You know, we've got to take these steps and everybody's coming at it from different points and awareness shifts. And and I think it's just kind of trying to open that up is this kind of gap 
to hold lightly, but to have some ideas. There's a lot of work that has come before us, of course, and it's also standing on the shoulders of many giants who have paved the way to kind of keep iterating and keep using design and comms and, and story, opening that up to help people feel like, I can do this too. I can see myself in this. This is really compelling. I don't want to do that work anymore. I want to do this. And how do we shift all that capital to support people building this next economy? I bounce out of bed every morning kind of going, ding, ding, this is, this is exciting. It feels really good in my body to be participating in, in trying to open that up more widely, even if I most of the time don't know and it's just actually about trusting or learning to hear and listen to instinct when something feels alive and move with it. What about for you, Kyla? Well, I was thinking of your opening metaphor then. It's, it's, I, I heard one and I've used it many times. It's like, whole, and I think it, it originally came from sword fighting, but it's like holding a bird in your hand. If you hold it too loosely, it'll fly away. If you hold it too tight, you'll kill it. And it's about getting that balance. And, and, and strangely, this is actually something I'm really well equipped, equipped for as a documentary maker and as an observational documentary maker. A famous quote from Robin Anderson, who made films with Bob Connolly, is that once you, if you know the story when you're going into a, a, a show, you've lost it already. And that it is so much a part of the process that the story needs to evolve through the conditions and you need to be able to recognise it. And so in every show, it's always very much a dance around what is happening and being responsive, but also kind of being focused on what is the true tension within the story, but being able to go with those elements of flow that are working and, and kind of getting us somewhere. And I also think that in terms of the hope and in terms of thinking about where we're going is that and and of you know the narrative is that fundamentally we're, we've got a, we've had a, a deep failure of the imagination of being unable to imagine different kinds of futures and different ways of being and that it's actually not that hard like once you can open the lid on on so many wonderful and incredible possibilities then they'll all start sort of talking talking to each other so yeah yeah I think that's um kind of how I've sort of approached it. Mm. There's a tension too as, as we're going through this this journey as well around people who are coming with a holistic view and want to explore the possibilities and others who are coming with a really action-oriented frame of reference and just want to get in and do action around this and, and step into doing something about this. I'd be really interested to get your sense of your observations in that and, and how you've held some of that tension as well around the people who want to explore, understand deeply, really peel the onion, as you were talking about, Kyla, as well as holding those who want to step into action right now. I think they work together. If you think of practice-based learning and learning by doing, you can't deal with a wicked problem in any other way other than just giving it a go and getting in there and muddling around and making mistakes and then reappraising where we are. I don't think there's a dichotomy between action and thinking deeply and that we think in many different ways. I mean, I use documentary as also as a way to think through this whole problem and where I stand on it and to explore it. So I'm kind of making something and creating something in the process of finding out about it. And it's that, I think, I for me, I think it's that simultaneous 
thing of doing and thinking and discovering and learning and coming up with a sort of a slightly different way of trying to go about it and doing it all again. So, yeah, yeah, I don't see there as a strict dichotomy mm-hmm. between action and contemplation. Beautiful. Yeah, I think it even goes to your earlier question, Sharon. It's like you actually have to hold it lightly. We can't control this. There is no reason to. We want to celebrate the diversity of many, in fact, everyone coming to this in their own unique ways, in their own unique places, and having that sense of agency to go, Mm. all right, cool, I'm just going to go and do this because we have this idea of this sort of destination, right? What's it going to end up like when people can step into that and feel supported and nested and held and empowered? What tools, methodologies, networks do people need to be tapped in with to support that I think is, for me, the other the question, how can mm. we actually help empower bottom-up community-led regenerative change? Mm. And it's going to be different everywhere and that's mm. what we want because everywhere is different. So it's like the opposite of globalisation, to relocalise into place and to celebrate that so we have a completely new sense of who we are and our identity and our belonging to our places is another way to look at that. I say if anybody's coming at it going, well, I'm, I I want to do all of these things but I can't, it's like, well, is that the right question? Yeah. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. So you two have been and are on a continuing learning journey. I'd be really interested to hear from both of you around if there's any key lessons that you have picked up along the way that you think it would be good for others to understand or be able to then explore themselves that you Uh, think will really help this whole notion of movement building for change? The one I've learnt again through lots of people who have been very patient with me is that it all starts with relationships. And as somebody who always wanted to do things and just be at the project end, actually you can't do anything without relationships first. So it's really if you think that trust is the baseline that all things come from. It's just building trust and and that's taken me a long time and a lot of amazing conversations and meeting hundreds of amazing people to then sort of have a sense of being in a, a node in a network of other people that we trust because we're aligned to this greater call to regenerate where we are. And so when I sometimes have, I've had recently some people sort of say, I really want to do this thing. I'm like, cool, but I'm not going to start with the project. I actually want to know who are you? And what's your context? And how does this work for you? And are we asking the right questions? And I think it's always just trying to come back to that, which is my deeper fascination with participatory and deliberative practices, is I think they might be the in real life version of what social media has failed to do. It connects us through safe spaces, coming together to collaborate on the decisions that matter the most to us. We can actually do what we need to do and re-empower ourselves to have agency to regenerate where we are. So it's like social media has broken us and the horrible toxic algorithms that are just, let's not even go there. And these practices actually help help come back together. So you can have a conversation with somebody who has completely opposing views and that's okay. Let's go there. Let's understand it and listen and understand each other. And it's sort of that relational aspect mm-hmm. takes time. And as otherwise people have said, I think it's Professor Yin Paradis is it he found it somewhere else. It's about to move at the speed of trust. Mm-hmm. That just takes as long as it takes. Mm. Beautiful. That. What about you, Kyla? Oh, well, I think I'm probably on a similar wavelength to Willow, but I probably term it in terms of 
of listening and of being responsive and of expecting to move in to the dance of planetary derangement and and knowing that it, that it's an improvisation the whole the whole time and that you are that we're dancing with other people and, and even though social media and, and the web is not hasn't hasn't hit the emancipatory goals that sort of half of half of its development was you know really hoping for it is it's we're we're in processes that are so much more helpful than in old industrial ways of thinking you know of of even just like being the artist and you get the idea and you squirrel away in isolation for two years and then bang you've got all the answers that things don't work like that in, in anymore that they you mm. need to put you know small things out there and 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 things develop through a conversation with the people that you're working with and and that delineation between audiences and makers and is, is is no longer as you know no longer applicable we're all playing all of these roles and we're all kind of dancing with each other and to to let to let sort of things things emerge in that way so mm. yeah yeah I would I would I think yeah not having all the answers is a really important place to start and and to be trying to really listen deeply to the people around us and to yeah because that's that's where it's all about we've spent so long in our little bubbles mm. Mm. I love that to be dancing with planetary systems <laughs> it's awesome I was actually thinking of another thing as you were talking if it's okay to continue is actually in finding our roles our vocational pathways our kind of like purpose for being it's a massive question and yes, there is enormous uncertainty and fear, but it's like in that, if we can start to ask ourselves, well, what's my, what are my superpowers? What are the things I'm really good at? What are the things that I'm alive about that light me up and inspire me to be alive and do things? If, if it's against or with your current work, it's like what are the things then you want to have superpowers that you're not yet embodied with and just move with those. Mm. it's a mm. it's a journey it's a it's a what well, it's a dance actually mm. <laughs> a beautiful improv dance yeah. just to sort of bring us back when we started this conversation today you were both talking about this being a journey and that this being a journey that includes heart and that it includes ways of stepping into the work that holds listening talking and connection and you've talked throughout the the course of the day around holding those pieces in inquiry as a learner and also holding the holding the work lightly enough to be inclusive of others and i think it's really interesting that you've brought all of those ingredients together almost for this part of the podcast where you've said and and all of that together is a dance so this journey, this how we're holding this together, this inclusiveness that we're holding, it's all a dance. And I think that that's a beautiful place for us to wind up our conversation today. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to the pair of you and to really sit deeply within the passion and the drive that you have and the inclusiveness that you come to this work as you both step into doing your piece to really help regeneration and to really challenge the climate emergency as is. So thanks very much for both of you being here today. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Sharon. It's been lovely.